to Wednesday Word, a Bible study led by Pastor John Jenkins of Northport Baptist Church. All right, we'll turn over to Acts chapter 10. Acts 10, and we're going to get through Acts 10 today. How about that? I don't believe it. You don't believe it? No, no we're going to do it. I got time because John didn't take up all my time with that stinking music. So we're going to do it. <laughs> But seriously, Acts 10 is, I've been telling you this, but it's a great, great, great chapter in the Bible, especially for those of you like me who are Gentiles, because this is one of the chapters, probably the main chapter, where God really defines who salvation is for. And of course, we know, looking back through Scripture, we know that salvation is for everyone. And even Acts chapter 10 says that. But God's heart is for everyone to be saved. Now, that doesn't mean everyone will be saved, but that is God's heart for everyone to be saved. So it's a great chapter for us to read that. But it's also a great chapter missionally as we talk about Lottie Moon, as we talk about IMB because you truly see some things here to understand what God has called the church to do, but not only what God has called the church to do, what God has called you and me and every individual believer that He has sent out. And whether you're a missionary or a preacher or a minister or whatever, you have been sent out with the gospel of Christ to share. You have been. And so you can sit back and not do it, but guess what you're doing? You're disobeying a command. And so you're going to see that directly in Acts chapter 10. And the reason you're going to see that is because of a man here named Cornelius. And Acts chapter 10 starts out talking about this man. Now Cornelius was a Gentile. He was not a Jew. He was more than likely Italian because he was in charge of the Roman regiment there in Israel. So he controlled that specific regiment of soldiers and he was in charge of them. So of course, if they were Roman soldiers, where were they from? They were from Rome. and. Uh, so it says that specifically there in Acts chapter 10. And so he is a very important person. He lives in a place called Caesarea, which is not too far from Joppa, where Peter is at the time chapter 10 starts. He is staying in Joppa with a man named Simon. He's a tanner. He basically tans hides. That's what he does. And so... Acts 10 starts out with Cornelius seeking God. He's praying to God, and he's giving alms to the poor, and he is a good man. And if you looked at him, you would say he is a good man. He's moral. He does good things. He does godly things. But the problem is Cornelius had no clue about Jesus Christ. Now, when it says that he is praying to God, we don't know specifically he's praying to the Lord. Now, obviously he is because the Lord answers his prayers. So the great question, if he's a Roman and he's from Italy, how does he know about the God of the Bible? Well, here's how he knows about the God of the Bible, because where is he living? He's living in Israel. He's living in Caesarea. So somehow he has started to glean some things from Judaism and from the Jews and the God that they go after. Now, Romans could believe in a gazillion gods. There was a gazillion gods in the Roman world, and they could believe in anyone they wanted to, and they prayed to all of them most of the time. But somehow, Cornelius was seeking after God. And here's the wonderful thing. When people seek after God, what does God do? 
He answers them and he answers their prayer. And that's what he did for Cornelius. And what did God do for Cornelius? He sent someone to him. Who was it? He sent an angel to him to speak to him. Now, this is what's interesting here. What did the angel tell Cornelius to do? Did the angel tell him about Jesus Christ and say, Cornelius, you need to believe on the name of Jesus and you need to call on him for salvation and repent of your sins? Is that what the angel said? No, because angels cannot do that. Angels do not share salvation. And you're going to see specifically in Acts chapter 10 why they don't share salvation. But they cannot share salvation. Why can they not share salvation? They've never experienced it. They've never been saved. An angel has never been saved. Salvation is for who? Those of us who were created in the image of Almighty God. Angels are not created in the image of God. And that's why Satan rebelled anyway, because he wants to be like you. He wants to be like God. That's what it says in Isaiah 14. That was his desire. That was his heart. But God created angels, according to Hebrews, as servants. And they are messengers. That's what the word angel means. It just means messenger. And they are messengers for God. But they are not messengers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. They cannot do that because they've never experienced that. So God communicates a lot of ways to people. Now think about this for a moment. How does God communicate to us, to people, to people all over the earth? Those who are saved and those who are lost, by the way. What are some of the ways God communicates? Dreams, <laughs> Dreams visions, through His Word, through creation, Romans chapter 1, through angels. Has anybody ever heard the voice of an angel? How do you know? I mean, do you know what Hebrews says about angels? It says you better be careful how you treat people. You know why? Because angels might be disguised and you have no clue who you're meeting with. I guarantee you, you've come in contact with angels. I guarantee it. I'll bet my life on it. Every person in this room has come in contact with angels. Now, you might know it, but you have come in contact with angels. Maybe they were there for your protection. Maybe they were there to give you a message. But angels are all around us. They're everywhere. And God works through that. Now, that is a spiritual world that you cannot see. But angels do come, and they do reveal themselves as humans. Now, here's an interesting part of the Bible. I probably shouldn't talk about this because it will get me off Acts 10. But think about all the times an angel appears in the Bible. How do they always appear just from a look if a person actually sees them? In a human form, how do they appear? Like humans, but what type of humans? I mean, it's very specific biblically. They're men, but they're always young men. They're very much always in the Bible young men. That's how they appear. Now, I don't know the significance of this, but think about it. I mean, angels really are warriors from a spiritual perspective. <clears throat> and think about who we send to war. Like, if we're going to send somebody to war, who do we send to war? Yeah, yeah we don't send old people, right? Because they got bad backs and ain't going to last very long, right? And we've already talked about that, okay? We prayed for that this morning. But we send young men. They're warriors. I mean, that's who we send. And I don't know if that's significant, but angels are warriors and they're messengers. And so that's how they always appear in the Bible, always. Now, great thing to think about, but angels are spiritual beings, right? An angel's never going to have a body 
like you, glorified like Christ one day when you're glorified. They're always going to be spiritual beings. Now, somehow God allows them to take on a human form to do certain tasks, but they're just spiritual beings. That's all they are. And God created them to serve. And He created them to serve believers according to the book of Hebrews. And so Cornelius heard from one of these beings, one of these angels. And he looked radiant because he had been in the presence of God because God gave him a specific message to take to Cornelius. And what did he do? He told Cornelius to send for someone because the angel couldn't tell him the gospel, but there was someone who could. And that someone was named Peter. And so as Cornelius sent messengers to go get Peter, what did God have to do for this man of God? He had to change his heart. And what God had to do for Peter was break down some prejudices that he had, and not only him, all Jews had. Because God had told, or through Jesus, God had told the church to take the gospel where? Everywhere. Everywhere. Did the church do that? No. No. And you know why they did that, didn't do it? Because they didn't like everybody else. They were prejudiced. They were racist. <laughs> and God had to send persecution to get it to Samaria. That's what it took because they hated the Samaritans. They were prejudiced. But it wasn't just Samaritans. It was any Gentile, the Goim. And all that word means is unwashed ones. Okay, now... This is not Torah. This is not Bible. But the Jews had created all these different laws and all these boundaries that a Jew could not associate or go into the home of a Gentile. That's nowhere in God's law. That's nowhere in the Torah. But why did they create this? To protect the law. That's why they did it. But this is man-made law. This is not God. And so a Jew would not even go into the residence of a Gentile. Do you remember when Jesus was being tried? And they took Jesus to Pilate, and Pilate took them into his residence, and the chief priests wouldn't follow. Do you know why they wouldn't follow? Because they didn't want to be unclean, because it was Passover, and they wanted to celebrate Passover. Now think about the utter ignorance of that. Think about their heart and what they were doing to Jesus Christ. But yet outside, they were going to be purified and ceremonial clean. But that's the way the Jews did it from a religious standpoint. And Peter still had a lot of these prejudices, and he was still living this way. And you're going to see how God breaks them down. So let's just read it again so that you see this. And we won't harp here. We've already talked a little bit about it. But look there in Acts 10, verse 9. This is where we'll start. The next day, as Cornelius' messengers were nearing the town, Peter went up to the flat roof to pray. It was about noon, and he was hungry. But while a meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance, and he saw the sky open and something like a large sheet let down by its four corners. In the sheet were all sorts of animals, reptiles, birds. Then a voice said to him, Get up, Peter, kill them and eat them. No, Lord, Peter declared, I have never eaten anything that our Jewish laws have declared unpure or unclean. Now, is this true? Had Jewish laws declared some things unclean to eat? That was true. But did Jewish laws pertain that people were unclean or impure or you couldn't be around them? No. no. Nowhere in the Jewish law does it say that. Okay, so they made that up. So what did God have to do to break down the prejudices of their heart? He changed some of the Jewish laws here. I mean, he changes it right here. So what had Jews been practicing forever and ever and ever? They would only eat what is 
Kosher is what we call it, right? What God declared clean, pure. So what does God have to do to break down the prejudices of heart? He changes the law here. What those kosher laws are. And this keeps going. Verse 15, but the voice spoke again. Do not call something unclean if God has made it clean. The same vision was repeated three times. That's how many times it takes for Peter to listen. Then the sheet was suddenly pulled up to heaven. Peter was very perplexed. What could this vision mean? He still didn't understand. Just then, men sent by Cornelius found Simon's house. Standing outside the gate, they asked if a man named Simon Peter was staying there. Meanwhile, as Peter was puzzling over this vision, the Holy Spirit said to him. Now, here's a good distinction here before we go on. Now, who came to Cornelius to share the message of God? An angel. Who comes to Peter to speak from God? Okay, why? Because he has salvation. He has Jesus. So what do we receive according to Ephesians 1 when we receive Jesus Christ as Lord? The Holy Spirit, the presence of God dwells within us. Okay, now this is going to become important in a minute, but just think, look at all the times that the Holy Spirit talks to Peter here and leads Peter here and guides him here. It's the presence of God that we have as followers of Christ. It's going to be very important. So the Holy Spirit said to him, three men have come looking for you. Get up, go downstairs and go with them without hesitation. Don't worry for I have sent them. Here's a good question for you. Has the Holy Spirit ever spoke to you like that? <coughs> Maybe not verbally, but has he ever spoke to you like that where you knew he told you to do something and you better do it? Okay, here's the next best question. Did you do it? Yeah. <laughs> I guarantee you not all the time. Right? We just don't. We're like Peter, unfortunately. <laughs> But verse 21, Peter obeyed this time. Verse 21, so Peter went down and said, I am the man you're looking for. Why have you come? They said, we were sent by Cornelius, a Roman officer. He is a devout, God-fearing man, well-respected by all the Jews. And a holy angel instructed him to summon you to his house so that, you, that he can hear the message. So Peter invited them to stay the night, and the next day they went accompanied with some other brothers from Joppa. So Peter took some other believers with him. That's who he took with him as he went to Caesarea. Verse 24, they arrived at Caesarea the following day and Cornelius was waiting for them and he called together his relatives and close friends. Now think about that one for a moment. Now here's a man that knows nothing about God truly except what he's gleaned from the Jews. He has no clue about Jesus Christ. He's seeking salvation. But who else does he want salvation for? Not only his family, but his friends, his family, anybody close to him. He wants them to hear the message from God. And he's invited them to the house. And they're waiting for Peter to come share the message of God. Now think about that as it pertains to your family and your friends. Are you that passionate as a lost Roman soldier, officer, to bring your family and friends together to hear the message of the good news or to even share the message of the good news with them. He was passionate about that and he wanted them to hear because it was how you could be made right with God. Verse 25, as Peter entered his home, Cornelius 
fell at his feet and worshiped him. Now this shows you he has no clue what he's doing. He doesn't know he's seeking after God, but he has no clue what he's doing. He's worshiping a man. That's what he's doing. He's worshiping Peter because he thinks Peter is from God. Peter must be like God. Peter is something special. But this is what Peter says. Peter pulled him up and said, you need to stand up. I am a human just like you. Word there is a man. I am a man just like you. Now, this is an important verse for our Catholic friends because they believe Peter was the bridge to God and the first pope, and he spoke for God, and he could basically rewrite whatever God said. That is not who Peter was, and that's a whole different discussion. But Jesus didn't say that the church was going to be built upon Peter. That's a very, very horrible misinterpretation of what Jesus says. On Peter's confession. Well, it's not even that. The church is built on Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. And if you understand the Greek text there and what he says to Peter, remember, Jesus gives Peter the name Peter. That's not Peter's name. What's his name? Simon. Simon's his name. Peter gives him, an, or Jesus gives Peter the nickname Peter, which means Petros, which means pebble. Okay? And he doesn't say, on this pebble, I'm building the church. <laughs> it's, you got to understand the dialogue there. He says, your name's Peter, and then he's talking about himself. On the rock, I will build my church. Jesus is talking about himself. But a lot of misinterpretation there, and it goes a long way from there, even to this day. And it's messing up a lot of people, leading them away from Christ. But this is what happens, verse 27. So they talked together and went, in, and went inside where many others were assembled. Wouldn't you like to know how many people he had in his house that day? I mean, you know, he probably had a big family. He had a lot of friends. He was a very important man in Caesarea. I would love to know how many, many are there. I would love to know that. But this is, goes on. Peter told them, you know, it is against our laws for a Jewish man to enter the home like this or to associate with you. Now, was it? No. It was not against the law of God for him to go into a Gentile home. This is a lie that Peter believed from the Pharisees. Now, why would he believe a lie after all the Pharisees had done to Jesus Christ? This is how deep-rooted his religion is. And this is what happens. Do we not have things that we believe traditionally that are not biblical? Well, we could stand up here all day and talk about that, right? Okay, we do the same thing Peter is. So don't pat yourself on the back like Peter is here, okay, because we're no better. But God has shown me that I should no longer think of anyone as impure or unclean. God never said a person was impure or unclean. He said animals were and you shouldn't eat them. But God had to show him that was not true. So I came without objection as soon as I was sent for you. Now tell me why you sent for me. And this is where God starts getting Peter's attention. Cornelius replied, Four days ago I was praying in my house about the same, this same time, three o'clock in the afternoon, and suddenly a man in dazzling clothes was standing in front of me. He told me, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard, and your gifts to the poor have been noticed by God. Now send messengers to Joppa and summon a man named Simon Peter. He is staying in the house of Simon the Tanner who lives near the seashore. So I sent for you at once and it was good of you to come. Now we are all here waiting before God to hear the message the Lord has given you. Okay, let's talk about verse 33 for a second because this is a huge 
verse in God's Word missionally and to understand why God does what He does. Okay, so what this verse here literally says, just the exact Greek text, it says basically, so I sent for you at once and for you to come. And then this is what it says. We are all here in the presence of God. We are all here in the presence of God and we are waiting to hear the message you were commanded to give. Okay, so now how does Cornelius know this? Remember, he's not Jewish. He's not a believer at this point. He doesn't know much of nothing except he's seeking after God and in his heart he's going to give some alms to the poor because he thinks it's the right thing to do because maybe that'll help him get closer to God. But he doesn't know anything. But verse 33 is how people are saved on this earth. Okay, how were they in the presence of God at this moment? How was Cornelius in the presence of God? Say it. Somebody said it. Okay. And how was the Holy Spirit of God there? Peter and the other believers. Okay, was the presence of God going to be in Cornelius' house without Peter and without those other believers? Not unless God sends an angel to speak to him like he did. But when the angel left, what left with the angel? The presence of God left, right? Because where does the presence of God dwell on this earth? Inside the heart of believers. Okay, why is that so important missionally as it pertains to sharing the gospel? Whose is the work of salvation? The Holy Spirit. How do I know? Because Jesus told us. Okay, you don't have to listen or turn there, but just listen. This is what Jesus says in John 16, just before the cross. John 16, 5, But now I'm going away to the one who sent me, and not one of you is asking, where am I going? Instead, you grieve because of what I've told you. But in fact, it's best for you that I go away, because if I don't, the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, won't come. If I do not go away, but if I do go away, then I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world of its sin and of God's righteousness and of coming judgment. So what must happen for someone to be saved? Do they have to be convicted of their sin? You better believe it because they got to turn from their sin. They have to repent. Do they have to know about God's righteousness? Well, if you don't know about God's righteousness and a way to be made right with God, do you even need salvation? No, you've got to know that. And what's the final kicker? You've got to know you're going to be judged for your sin if you don't turn to Jesus Christ through that. So whose work is that? The Holy Spirit of God. And so who do we take with us everywhere we go? The Holy Spirit of God. And the Holy Spirit of God works through the life of a believer to do what to those who are lost? To convict them of their sin and God's righteousness and coming judgment. That's why we send missionaries out. That's why you are to go share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because you take the presence of God with you through the Holy Spirit. And it is essential for people to be saved. It is essential. Do you see that? It's essential. But something else is essential too. When you go and when you take the Holy Spirit of God with you, 
what else must you take with you? A message, a witness, Jesus, right? What does Cornelius say there in verse 33? He says, we're here in the presence of the Lord to hear all that you have been commanded to share by the Lord. Okay. Had Peter been commanded to share? Yes. Yeah. Was he not there in Matthew 28? Was he not there when Jesus said, Go ye therefore and do what? Make disciples of whom? Not just Jews, not just in Jerusalem, all nations, right? Peter heard that, right? Was he, is that a command? That's a command. Was Peter there when Jesus spoke, Acts 1 8, before he ascended up into heaven? When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will receive power and you'll be my witnesses where? Everywhere. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and all the way to the ends of the earth. Did Peter hear that? Did Peter know that was a command? Did Peter do that? No. No. Not till this point. He did not do that. Why? Because he didn't like those people he was going to share with. He thought that they were unclean and impure and they weren't worthy or righteous enough to receive salvation through Jesus Christ. Did he not believe that? Yes, he believed that. And guess what? He had already been to Samaria in Acts chapter 8, right? Because he heard about what Philip was doing. Philip was going and sharing the gospel everywhere he went. And he went to Samaria and a whole city came to faith through the ministry of Philip, through miracles and signs and his preaching. And there was great joy in that city, Acts 8. And we talked about that Sunday. And somehow Peter heard about it. And other apostles went to Samaria to see, is this true? And they saw it's true. And they even preached the gospel while they were there. But yet Peter goes back and then it didn't change his heart. And what does God have to do? Get his attention to show Peter that salvation is for everyone. Now, here's a great question for you. Are we like Peter? You better believe it. Think about just over the history of the church in America and our prejudices in sharing the gospel. There's a lot of them. Right? There's a lot of them. Yeah. <laughs> Especially in the South. And there's even here today as we talk about different people groups and different nations. How many of you right now will sign up to go to Iran to be a missionary? Any takers? <laughs> Why? Oh uh, yeah, you got excuses. I don't. I don't give a crap about your excuses. <laughs> Are you commanded? Are you commanded to go? Are you commanded to share? Yes, you are. I'll share at the supermarket. But don't we pick and choose, right? That's what we do. Well, God can use me to send more missionaries. I can give and I can pray. Okay, we can come up with whatever excuse we want to, but we're just like Peter, right? And we do the same thing. We rationalize, we justify, we let our traditions, we let our prejudices, we let whatever keep us from doing what we've commanded to do. And is that not what's happened to the church over the centuries? Why do you think Jesus Christ hasn't come back to this earth yet? Matthew 24, 14. Jesus' heart is for everyone to hear. 
That's his heart. He wants everyone to be saved. And he ain't coming back until they hear it. That's what it says. And what's he commanded the church to do? To go and do it. And we've had 2,000 years to do it. Have we done it? No, we haven't. Why? Because we don't listen to the commands very well. We might hear them, but we don't obey them. We're just like Peter. We're just like Peter. But finally, God gets through to Peter. So look at verse 34. Then Peter replied, I see very clearly that God shows no favoritism. Now, why in God's name did it take him this long to see that? Indoctrination. I mean, it's crazy, though. Okay, was he not there when Jesus told the story of the Good Samaritan? Why did Jesus tell that story? To break down barriers. To show who he came for salvation to give it to. Did Peter hear that story? Heck yeah, he heard that story. Was Peter there when Jesus ministered in Jericho, wherever he went, everywhere Jesus did? Did Jesus show prejudice? No. I mean, Peter was there for all of it. And he was there when he told him to go. He was there in Samaria. But it took this to finally get his attention. Now, does this change Peter for good? No. no. Go read Galatians. Do you know what Peter does in Galatians years after this, by the way? He won't go into the house of a Gentile. Now, how stupid is that after all this? Because our laws tell us not to. No, they don't. But that's who we are. But at least Peter gets it here. Verse 35, In every nation he accepts those who hear him and do what is right. This is the message of the good news for the people of Israel that there is peace with God through Jesus Christ is Lord of all. Now, who's the message for according to Peter? Israel. He says he's speaking out of both sides of his mouth, right? Yeah. <laughs> this message is for everyone. This message is for just Israel. But this is how deep rooted his traditions are in his religion is. And so it takes a long time to break some of this in our life. And it did Peter's as well. But Peter shares the gospel with them. Verse 37. You know what happened throughout Judea, beginning in Galilee, after John began preaching his message of baptism. Now here's verse 38. This is really important. And you know that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. Then Jesus went around doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. Okay, now this is really important verse for us as followers of Christ, especially concerning the Holy Spirit, because it tells us how Jesus Christ did everything he did on this earth. How did he do it? <laughs> Through the power of the Holy Spirit. Okay, now why is that important? Well, this time of the year, we talk about Jesus Christ coming to this earth as what? As a baby, right? He came as the Son of Man. He came as human, flesh. The Word became flesh, John 1. Okay, so Jesus Christ came to this earth, and we know He was born of a virgin so that He didn't have the seed of sin, but yet He still could have sinned, and He was tempted in every way according to the Bible, just like we are. 
But he came to this earth as a man, as flesh. So I don't know how this works because I believe with all my heart, Jesus is 100% God. But I also believe in my heart, he's 100% man. How is that possible? Don't know. Can't explain it. Sorry. Don't know. But we know that Jesus, when he stepped off of his throne in heaven and came to this earth, he limited himself with flesh. Are you limited because of your flesh? Who has a bad back? Okay, you're limited because of your flesh, your sickness, whatever. We're limited because of our flesh. Jesus was limited because of his flesh. So what had to happen for him to do everything he did on this earth? He had to be anointed by the Holy Spirit and power. And then he went around doing good and doing all the things you know about, right? Did he do those things before that? So when was he anointed with the Holy Spirit? Baptism. Baptism. The Holy Spirit came upon him and the Bible says never left him. Okay? Came upon him like a dove and never left him. That's important. And then he went around doing good, right? Only through the power of the Holy Spirit. Who raised Jesus from the dead? Holy Spirit. Who was with Jesus on the cross? The Holy Spirit. Who did everything through the life of Jesus? The presence of God through the Holy Spirit. Now, why is that important for you and me? Because what has He given us? The same thing, the exact same thing. The Holy Spirit of God and power. And that's why we can do what Jesus says in John 14, 12. We can do the same things He's done on this earth and even greater things because I'm going to heaven. But I'm sending you somebody better than me, by the way. That's what He tells the disciples in the next chapter. And that is the advocate, the Holy Spirit. And we have that Holy Spirit and we have power and we can do the same things on this earth that Jesus Christ did. And I showed you that in Acts chapter 10. Did Peter do the same things that Jesus Christ did on this earth? He did almost the exact same things he did at the end of Acts chapter 10. Go read it. He raises somebody from the dead, just like Jesus did. He healed a lame man and told him to walk, just like Jesus did. And guess what you and I can do as well? The same thing because Jesus says it. And don't let anybody tell you that you can't because Jesus said it. And we can explain it away because we don't see it, because we don't want to believe it. But guess what that is? That's tradition and that's religion and that's false teaching. And all of you believe it. Why? Because you've been taught it all your life, right? Of course we have. That's who we are. We're just like Peter. Okay? So don't believe stuff that's not God's Word. Trust God's Word in what Jesus Christ says. But here's, it's interesting too, Acts 38, the end of 1038. Look at what it says there. Who he went around healing. He was healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. Now let's think about that statement a minute. Now, did Jesus heal people who were demon-possessed and tormented by evil spirits? He did. Is that all he did? He healed a lot of sick people, right? Here's a good question. Where does sickness come from? I mean, it says pretty specifically here, He healed all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. If you're sick and you're under oppression from that sickness, where does that come from? Is it God? No. It's evil. It's satanic. It's demonic. Can we heal people from that? Well, I believe according to Acts 10.38, if we're like Jesus, we can. So that's an important verse. 
We should probably spend more time on it, but we're getting through Acts 10, so we got to keep going. <laughs> Verse 39. And we apostles are witnesses of all he did throughout Judea and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a cross, but God raised him to life on the third day. It's really hard to preach the gospel without talking about the cross and the resurrection because you can't. You got to share it. People have to know why Jesus died on the cross and why God raised him from the dead. <coughs> that is the essential truth of the good news of Jesus Christ. He died for your sins and he came as a sacrifice for your sins so that you could be made right with God. And proof of that is God raised him from the dead. That is essential to the gospel. And every time Peter shares the gospel, you know what he shares? That. He shares that. Then God allowed him to appear, not to the general public, but to us whom God had chosen in advance to be his witnesses. We were those who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead, and he ordered us to preach. Where? Was Peter doing that? So Peter knows where he was ordered and commanded to share, right? But why wouldn't he go and do it? Because he thought they were unclean and impure. Isn't that crazy? I mean, those, that's the same word that Cornelius uses, and you were commanded to share this with us. Well, did Jesus command him to share this with them and everywhere else? He sure did, and Peter even knew it because he says it right here. And to testify that Jesus is the one appointed by God to be the judge of all, the living and the dead. He is the one all the prophets testified about, saying that everyone who believes in him will have their sins forgiven through his name. Do you not love how Peter always contradicts himself all the time? I mean, he does it all the stinking time. I mean, he even goes back to the Old Testament here and talking about prophets. And what did prophets say? What were they saying? <coughs> Anyone who believes in the Messiah is going to be saved. Well, did Peter believe that? Did the Jews believe that? No, they didn't believe that. But did God say it over and over and over and over and over again, pointing people to Christ Jesus? And did Jesus himself not say it? Of course he did. And this is what's great. Later, Peter's going to write some parts of the Bible. And when you go read it in 2 Peter 3, do you know what he says about salvation and who it's for? Peter says it's for everyone. He, I mean, he says specifically, talking about the second coming of Jesus Christ, God is being patient for your sake because he doesn't want anyone to be thrown away from him, to be judged, but he wants everyone to come to repentance. So he finally gets it at some point, right before he dies, basically. That's when he writes that book. But it takes him a long time to get it because he's speaking out of both sides of his mouth. But I just want you to see, this is what the church does. We still do it to this day. We speak out of both sides of our mouth all the time. So God has to get our attention and teach us. That's why we need to stick to his word and not the teaching of man and traditions. But this is what happens. Look at verse 44. Now, this is just like a preacher. Even as Peter was preaching or saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell upon all who were listening to the message. Now, Peter wasn't going to shut up. So God had to do something, right? Maybe that's what he needs to do on Sundays for me. But Peter was going to keep going. But the Holy Spirit came 
And this is what happened. The Holy Spirit fell upon those who were listening to the message. The Jewish believers who came with Peter were amazed that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles too. Now, why were they amazed? Because they're just like Peter. <laughs> they're just like him. They have those deep-rooted prejudices in their heart. And they can't believe God's saving anybody, everyone, even though he's been talking about it, even through the prophets that Peter just talked about. Verse 46 says, How they knew the Holy Spirit had fell upon them, for they heard them speaking in other tongues and praising God. Now, what is this just a metaphor of and a picture of? It's Pentecost for the Gentiles, right? Now, this is pretty important here when we talk about tongues. Okay, where is the miracle of tongues? Is it in the speaking? It's in the hearing. Okay, what's the miracle of God? For they heard them speaking in other tongues and praising God. The miracle is not in the tongue. The miracle is in the hearing and the interpretation and knowing what those tongues are. That's the anointing of the Holy Spirit there. Then Peter asked, Can anyone object to their being baptized now that they have received the Holy Spirit just as we did. Now, we might talk about this a little bit next week because this gets into some false teaching from some of our Pentecostal friends talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit and what is the true baptism that Jesus was talking about that we are to be baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Okay, Ephesians 1 is very explicit. When you receive Christ Jesus, whom else do you receive? The Holy Spirit of God. You receive Him. When did these believers receive the Holy Spirit right here? When they believed, right? That's when they received the Holy Spirit of God. Okay. Can they be baptized after they receive the Holy Spirit as evidence that they have Jesus? Of course they should because that's the command of Jesus for us to be baptized after we call upon His name for salvation. Okay, so that's what happened. They were going to baptize them with water. Verse 48, So he gave orders for them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And afterward, Cornelius asked him to stay with them for several days. So they were saved, they were baptized, and then what did Peter do? He discipled them. That's why he stayed with them for several days. He discipled them and taught them about Scripture and taught them about Jesus. That's what he did while he was there. Okay, this is a great chapter because two things I believe this chapter shares with us. I'm telling you, according to the authority of God's Word, salvation is for everyone. How many times does Peter say it there? Multiple times in Acts 10, in Acts 10 right? Multiple times. He talks about salvation being for everyone. Is that the heart of God? Yes. For God so loved whom? The Jews that He sent His Son into this world? For God so loved the world that He sent His one and only Son into this world. Go read the book of 1 John, 1 John chapter 5 specifically. It talks about the love of God and whom the love of God is for. It is for everyone, and God wants everyone to be saved. Now again, not everyone will be saved because many will turn from the light and they will turn to darkness. And boy, we're seeing that in our day, right? We're seeing darkness all around us. We're living Isaiah 60, where darkness is covering all the corners of the earth. We're living that right now. But there is light, and God's heart is for people to turn to the light 
and to run from the darkness. And I'm telling you, according to Acts 10, those who truly seek Him will find Him because God will make a way. And what is God's way for salvation? For you and I, for the believer, to go and share. Right? If you don't believe it, go read Acts 8. Because there's a man from another country, a Gentile, an unclean, an impure one. He's from Ethiopia. And he is seeking after God. And do you know what links he goes to to seek after God? He even goes to Jerusalem to find God because he hears that there's a God there. And while he's in Jerusalem, he picks up and buys a scroll. And it just so happens, do you know what's on that scroll? One of the greatest chapters in all the Bible, Isaiah 53. And he's going home without God because he didn't find him there, but he found the Word of God. But do you know what he didn't understand? What he was reading. So God goes to a man named Philip who is leading the greatest revival that you can imagine. A whole city is coming to faith in Jesus Christ. And there's great joy in the city. And he's casting out demons. He's, I mean, sorcerers are coming amazed at what he's doing. I mean, it's incredible what God is doing. And you know what God says to this man named Philip? He says, I want you to go down to the desert. Why don't we go to the desert, God? God didn't answer. Go to the desert. And what does Philip do? He obeys and he goes to the desert and the Holy Spirit of God leads him to a man in a chariot and says, you might want to go talk to that guy. And he walks up to the chariot and that Ethiopian is reading Isaiah 53 and Philip just asked him a question. Do you know what you're reading? And the Ethiopian says, how can I if there's not someone here to explain it to me? And so Philip explains it to him and tells him about Jesus. And then in the middle of the desert, guess what just so happens to be there? A body of water. Think about that one for a minute. <laughs> and the Ethiopians baptize, and then Philip is snatched away, buddy. Was that Ethiopian seeking after God? Yeah. Did God make a way for him to come to salvation through a believer taking the gospel of Jesus Christ in a miraculous way? I'm telling you, it's miraculous what happened. Did that happen in Acts chapter 10 for a man named Cornelius seeking after God? When people seek after God, they will find him because God will make a way. But please hear me. You're the way. You are that way. And so maybe you have a neighbor who is seeking after God. Maybe you don't know it. God does. And maybe you're like, maybe God has laid that person on you. No, he did that because God's making a way for them to know Jesus. All of us are a way for someone to come to Christ. That's the way God did it. I don't know why. That's the way he did it. So when you go and take the presence of God with you and share the message of God with them, that's how people are saved, according to God's word. That's how he does it. That's how he does it. He doesn't send angels. He doesn't write the message in the sky. He does it through believers, those who have received salvation, who are witnesses to those things. Was that what Peter said? We were witnesses to it all. Have you not been a witness to all that Jesus Christ has done in your life and others? Of course you are. You're a witness to these things. And that's what Jesus said. You are, Acts 1-8. You will be my witnesses, telling about me everywhere. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So go and witness and share and tell because God wants you to. But not just that, He's commanded you to. It's an order. Roman officer understood orders, right? 
He told Peter, you've been ordered to do something. You better do it. You know what would happen to a Roman soldier if he didn't obey his commanding officer? He's dead as a hammer. That's what would happen. He would be killed and executed. He understood orders. Oh, if we would. Oh, if we would. But seriously, go and tell. Great time of year to do it. Let me pray. Thanks for tuning in today. Join us next week as Pastor John continues the study. And if you're looking for more, find us at northportbaptist.org.